0: Welcome to today's edition of the Paul List Comics and Culture Podcast. Every day I pick a comic, and then I provide some analysis, discussion, and critical engagement. I'm 2Ply on Twitter at TWOPLAI. My perspective is as a cultural critic, academic, and a teacher, and preacher. So I try to be analytical, since sometimes I get philosophical, sometimes I get a little spiritual. Well, since I do analysis of a comic's work each day for about 20 minutes, I do get into the details, so I always suggest that you read the work first, whether you buy it from your local retailer or digitally. Yes, that's a lightweight spoiler warning. All right, let's dig deep. Today is Wednesday, July 13th, 2016. Um, Today is our wide World of Comics Wednesday, and um, I'll talk at the end of this about the pull list. My pull list for the new comic book day, but today our focus book is uh, Astro Boy. The um, collection I'm referring to are the series is the series of omnibuses, omnibay, uh, <laughs> that um, Dark Horse has been putting out for the last few years, and uh, just recently released Volume Four. Um, these are thick. Nearly cubes, <laughs> um, because they are um, the smaller format uh, that's uh, sort of typical for, for manga. Um, a smaller presentation, black and white, um, but thick as heck. You know, 1,000 plus, uh, well, 680 pages. Um, but uh, Astro Boy by Osamu Tezuka is, of course, a landmark work of manga. And I'm going to talk today a little bit about Astro Boy. Um, well, I guess I'm going to use Astro Boy as a lens to talk a little bit about some thoughts on manga. Um, And then at the end, of course, on Wednesdays, we hear about um, all the things that are on my pull list and things that I'm excited about. I'm going to try to make that a little more exciting. I went back and listened to the last episode about um, Monstrous that uh, just released yesterday. And uh, boy, is it narcotic. Uh, <laughs> I think it's because I'm often recording late at night. And today, I'm trying to jam this in between um, doing some academic work and um, dri- driving my mom to the doctors. So it's a busy day. And um, sometimes I don't get to do this until I'm recording it. Uh, you know, past midnight so i i'm in that sleepy mode so you know hey if this podcast if you can't represent uh recommend this podcast to friends because it's too boring recommend it as a sleep aid what the heck uh (laughs) um anyway um in the Wednesday-wide world of comics, I'm going to try to get through this all efficiently. Um, I really want to you know, take the lens outside of the uh, narrow field of American comics and American direct market comics um, and look at comics from uh, that are you know, in different places. And one of those places for me is um, is manga. Now, to try to jam, as I always apologize for, to try to jam the whole rest of the world just kind of shows how um, reductive my comics uh, taste is. Uh, you know, really, really are, and uh, I just kind of uh, you know hang out in the uh, American mainstream quite a lot. Um, but it is uh, not without reason, and and I kind of want to talk about that as I talk about Astro Boy. For those of you who don't know, Astro Boy is um, is by Osamu Tezuka. Tezuka generally considered the god of manga, the godfather, the grandfather, the um, uh, sort of Jack Kirby and Stanley. Uh, and uh, I don't know who else we can throw in there, All Walt Disney, all rolled up into one, um, a huge figure in um, uh, Japanese comics and animation. And um, uh, Astro Boy was a character that he created in 1951, um, first serialized in Shonen, um, then for years afterwards, uh, a, a, a series headlined his own title, um, at the time called The Mighty Atom, or uh, Tetsuwan Otomu, uh, but translated into English, when it became a cartoon in 1963 in the United States as Astro Boy, um, Astro Boy has the feeling of my childhood, and there's not a f- you know not a few, not a small number of people who feel similarly. And I, I what I want to say about Astro Boy is the sense in which, as comics, he uh, it. Uh, is it represents a kind of transnationalism in comics. And for um, anyone who's, you know, unfamiliar or maybe um, repulsed <laughs> by the term transnationalism, uh, why not just say international? Uh, it's, it's sort of a term that has come to mean the ways that the flow and movement of um, migration and media, um, here we're talking about, you know, immigration and... Um, travel and technologies that allow for, uh, you know, people who, you know, live in one country Monday through Friday and in another on weekends, um, as well as mass media. Um, and uh, of course, now in the internet age, how easily, almost seamlessly we can communicate and share images and uh, all that kind of stuff around the world. Uh, transnationalism is about how that kind of um, dynamism, um, doesn't eliminate the idea of a nation-state, but really kind of uh, um, uh, you know uh, blurs the lines, um, makes it so that we have to conceive of people not within the um, not solely within the the nation-state concept, which is something that is you know part of modernity, but it's really the um, the nature of our lives to be transnational. And moreover, so many phenomena such as uh, culture and media, um, you, you can reflect on the transnationalism within them. And um, true of film, true of television, true for sure of comics. Um, Tezuka famously was uh, was you know influenced by your Max Fleischer's and your and your Walt Disney's um, yet did and yet was um, also profoundly influenced by uh, animation and uh, and comics of Japanese past, which has a history that stretches back um, at least as far probably farther than um, comics in the west and so there's something in Tezuka some admixture of um, past, present, east, west, um, global, and local that um, makes that's part of what makes him so important. Another part of ma- what makes him important is that he was just so dang productive. Um, it's really hard, it's virtually impossible to speak of a Tezuka style. Certainly, there's commonalities and there's actually intentional threads throughout all of his work, but if you assume that the, the Tezuka of Astro Boy is also the Tezuka of, say, Apollo's song or you know his countless other works, you you, um, you know, you're going to find yourself, uh, completely off the mark because his, his great power, his great gift, his great genius was actually in his ability to adapt, um, his ability to, to do things that were extremely adult sometimes. And in the case of Astro Boy, that just, um, reeked of all the innocence and all of the, 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 wonderment of childhood. Um, and uh, on one hand, he could do something that was you know, philosophical or religious, and on the other hand, he could do something that was um, almost banal or, or crude. And um, Tezuka's range uh, is part of what makes him, you know, this, this god of comics that he, he is. I should mention that, there's just uh, a lot of scholarly work out there and a lot of just popular work on Tezuka. M- you know, uh, a whole lot of it uh, written in English or translated to English. Um, you know, I think most of his, his works have been translated to English. Um, I'm drawing some of this from uh, a book by Natsu Onoda Power called The God of Comics Tezuka and the Creation of Post World War II Manga. So I just want to um, credit that. And, and I appreciate that book because um power really uh, unravels the ways that um tezuka is intertextual meaning that there's um both between the works that he creates and also drawing from the various influences that are part of him uh part of his making um as well as moving between the realms of um comics and animation he uh he he plays a role he's both a a, a um repository of things going on in, in Japanese history and culture and a maker uh, and a, you know, shaper of Japanese culture and history. And so, um, you know, Tazuka's significance can, can almost not be overstated. Uh, if you've never read manga, he, uh, I think Astro Boy is not a bad place to start, especially in the ways that um, Astro Boy, I defy an American, even maybe a European reader, to not find something in Astro Boy that is actually Uh, dare say, do I dare say, um, universal in its appeal. Um, And, and, and so, I think I tend to be a very particularistic kind of person. I tend to not want to assume universals among people in different places and cultures and experiences and upbringings. And yet there are things that are basic in childhood, things that are part of our cognitive structure, our, our basic human experience common to uh, virtually all that, um, make certain things appealing. And I think Astro boy has that power. That's exact, which is exactly why, um, pretty early in its life, um, you know sort of a dozen years into its life as a Japanese comic and then work of animation it's picked up in the United States and and uh, and shown now as a kid um and here's uh, maybe a little autobiographical to sort of make a point about manga and about um well about something I mentioned yesterday when I was talking about monsters. I talked about how it's a little um cheap no that's too harsh it's a little too easy for us to just kind of this discuss works as being somehow hybrid of East and West. I think it's, you know, hybridity is a is, um, is a concept near and dear. It's a move. It's a heuristic. Whatever. It's something near and dear to me. Uh, I'm always talking about things being hybrid but just saying that something is hybrid is is actually only the starting point of a, of a conversation teasing out which ways it's hybrid and, and sometimes you can't tease it out but you're teasing out which ways it's hybrid or or what that produces is actually more interesting far more interesting than just merely pointing out oh there's some east and there's some west here and so um you know um what was i saying i think that astro boy reflects a kind of hybridity that um has this very strong, uh, universal appeal, so that you know you you know many of us live in existence in a very transnational cultural um, sphere. Even those of us who are quite sheltered, in some sense, or people might judge us as as being sheltered. Um, just the fact of our televisions exposes us to things that um, have some have formed some deep roots in us. And I think Astro Boy, as a sort of ambassador of manga or an ambassador of the east to um american children is an interesting prospect um all right so um as i said astro boy is uh uh, uh, uh i don't know if i said it a robot kid <laughs> he's got two spikes in his hair he's not wearing a shirt he has uh, jet's that um, allow him to fly, he is a robot, so he's ultra powerful he can sense uh p- whether people are good or bad. Um, his adventures are very sort of typical uh typicals probably too too weak a word uh you know prototypical maybe fair to say um adventure stories of a superhero ish but more like a sort of robot um kid fantasy. Um, his origin is that uh, there's a sort of a mad scientist-ish character who, uh, or maybe he's the head of a corporation. Anyway, his Doctor Tenma, Tenma is his name, and all his origin is in this um, in this uh, Birth of Astro Boy story that's uh, reprinted in the first omnibus of this Dark Horse reprinting that's going on right now, which I highly recommend, by the way, very affordable, um, and um, just I'll, I'll talk about him in a second. But um, anyway, the Birth of Astro Boy. Uh, drawn later by Tezuka, um, but included at the beginning to to give the the origin. Uh, basically, Doctor Tenma's son is hit, his real life son is hit by a car, and um, sort of in his you know maniacal grief, he makes a robot son to try to replace his son. Um, and that son has you know it, that son he names Tobio becomes Astro Boy, but um, Tobio you know, is programmed with whatever artificial intelligence or whatever to be like a kid. And even, you know, you see the flickers of happiness that first appear. Um, But um, Tobio doesn't grow. And Dr. Tenma, this sort of mad um, scientist or corporate guy or whatever he is, goes crazy and uh, sells his robot son who uh, he finds out it's actually not uh, that appealing for, for humans to buy a robot or purchase or own or use a robot uh that's too human people don't like that because you know astro boy is too cute um anyway he eventually comes to become a uh, regular kid in an elementary school hanging out with other regular kids who uh is also simultaneously a robot superhero uh, with adventures uh and uh and all that um it's great fun um and when I see Astro Boy, I'm taken back. Um, I'm taken back to um, times almost pre memory for me, um, pre consciousness almost. Um, when, you know, towels that my mom would use to wipe my face that, you know, often smelled kind of mildewy, or, um, you know, shoes that would have the Astro Boy character on the side of them. Uh, I grew up in Taiwan, and that's uh, no, not fair. I was born in Taiwan. I moved back and forth as a kid, um, eventually pretty settled in um in the United States by late elementary school. Um, but I had uh, in my early years a very transnational existence. And there are things that I um are a deep a deep rooted part of me that um are from Taiwan and uh Taiwan, if you don't know, is, is sort of, you know, off the coast of China, um, whether it is or it is not China or part of China is, of course, a matter of political dispute. Um, but it's also right uh, south of Japan. And so the influence from Japanese culture, Japanese um, uh, media, and then, of course, uh, manga, or as we called it when we were kids, manhua, um, is quite strong. When I was a kid, they were everywhere. Um, things that were, you know, ja- digest size to, to your Shonen jump kinds of things would be just on the on the streets, really. In, in, in a, you'd look in a garbage can, and there'd be... uh uh, food wrappers and and manga um you know you you get on the train uh, or the bus and you know kids adults everybody is is reading it and it's it's it was sort of everywhere and so my my childhood my earliest conscious memories are populated by these things uh, around the house and um and that sort of brings me to this moment. Now, I've been buying these as they've come out, Dark Horse releasing these Astro Boy omnibuses. And, you know, they're, like I said, they're sort of this weird shape and they sit on my shelf and they're almost this totem of um, of some recollection for me that's um, incredibly deep in my, in my veins, in my blood. Um, and yet, I will admit now, I've read the first volume and the other three sit and wait and I almost can't bring myself to finish reading it Uh, I know know I'm not uh, far away from finish reading it and uh, if I'm finishing reading it and I think Dark Horse is not quite is not done publishing Um, so I'm going to continue with that but but it it is almost too close to my home too close to home for me um, to to read and to and the idea of finishing Astro Boy because and this is a sort of a general feeling about manga for me um, of course, there's a lot of manga that's just, to me, weird. <laughs> and if you listen to my monstrous episode of yesterday, weird is not bad. Weird is probably something I, I want to reckon with and I want to think about. But, um, but it's just weird. It's just, uh, so the story, and I, and I wrote about this in a column in Multiversity last year. The story is that I immigrated to the United States. And being a huge um, comics fan, and, you know, we're talking about Dragon Ball and stuff like Astro Boy and Doraemon i um i that stuff you know was was basically in my mind all the time as a kid i moved to america and it's so and and all of that is part and parcel of a um a whole set of imagine imagination that i have to dis- dispose of um you know i lived in california i, I lived in michigan and california And it was a time when I think you could be authentically Asian American to some extent if you were an adult. But, you know, kids, and still true, I'm sure, to some extent today. But if you're an immigrant kid, you had better get busy shedding uh, all vestiges of your immigrant past. Um, You better get quick assimilating. And I remember, and I write about this, experiences where not me, but other kids who had recently immigrated from Taiwan would be reading Um, Asian comics and they would be taunted mercilessly by other kids for reading these strange backwards, you know, not Garfield, not Punisher comics, Um, taunted mercilessly and not taunted by white kids, taunted by Asian kids, Asian American kids. Um, And it was, I think for us, and those people were my friends and those people are, are, you know, very now very conscious people, but it, it was a, a, process for us of um that of divorcing ourselves from something that the world around us had taught was um was was unappealing and strange and the internalized xenophobia um, that would cause us to reject manga uh, manhwa things like that strange um strange and profound Uh, And meanwhile, I got busy, you know, reading Dick Tracy and reading Ninja Turtles and and uh, becoming this nerd. And it really wasn't until I was a teenager that I started to look around and realize that American audiences were actually starting to love and consume the things that I sort of knew in my bones from when I was a kid. I remember a moment that I was uh, teaching uh, high school and I was in my mid 20s and a kid turned up, turned to me and said, hey, have you seen this before? Do you know this? And it was Dragon Ball. Um, The stuff of my my childhood dreams and uh, the kid was a a, a Mexican immigrant uh, you know teenager who was watching and reading Dragon Ball and uh, I remember just being blown away at that moment realizing wow, you know, this is a different world Um, It was changing already when I was a kid, but it is at a different place And so I think that there's a generation of us, and I might be talking to a very small sliver of the audience right now, for whom manga is something that is too near, too close to the bone to not hold at a certain distance. Um, And when I read Astro Boy, and, and I, there's something super reassuring about the frame, framing sequences when Te- Tezuka himself comes in as a narrator, kind of enters into the comic to speak for himself. You know, he talks about the travails of animation and his frustrations with dealing with that. Um, and, and he's sort of talking to Astro Boy as this wizened old head. There's something that is not just reassuring to me about that person being a mangaka or a, or a manga creator. That person is my, my heritage. <laughs> you know, that person is my dear uncle or my grandfather. Um, and then, but but not but separated in some sense. Um, there's there's something when I read Astro Boy in the familiarity of the the villains looking the way that they do and being motivated or unmotivated sometimes in the ways that they are the pathos of of technology run amuck and and being afraid and wondering if that technology um, the things that we create have now come back and uh, and. Recreated us, you know. That's part of the sort of post World World War, um, you know, Cold War era angst that um, is a little bit underneath all this cast, uh, this Astro Boy stuff. Um, there's part of me that, that, you know, the narrative structure, the 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 storytelling, which you know, my clock is telling me I can't get into once again. Uh, maybe I'll devote another episode to to manga in the future, with a, a work that I can talk. S- a little bit more, uh, understanding comic style about what, what's happening in manga, st- uh, visual storytelling. Um, it just has, uh, has insinuated itself into my consciousness in a way that, um, feels like that old uncle. Um, and so <laughs> I got to say, this is my reaction. I once visited China and a friend of mine who was, um, you know, a white, white guy, um, had gone to china for a year and to study and it was really funny because he he he's really earnest in studying not only chinese language but culture and and had learned quite a lot absorbed quite a lot his heart was definitely there and i remember him uh hearing me speak chinese and that was very strange because we pretty much only spoke English to each other and then he turned to me and he said uh did did you say that wrong like isn't that supposed to be blah 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 and it was really funny I mean I wasn't offended you know I could have been but I wasn't offended that he was correcting my Chinese it was a probably a regional sort of dialect kind of difference but the point was that um for me Chinese is not a subject that I learn and that I obsessively study for me Chinese is in my bones and the same is true of manga, right? So I have not finished all, you know, a billion volumes of Death Note or whatever. Uh, I I don't even know what a fruits basket is, uh, but but when I look at manga and read manga, there is something in my bones, something that is actually so close to home that I realize that uh, subconsciously it's actually the the lenses through which I view Western comics. Um, it is a kind of norm, a kind of framework through which I judge and think about western comics and um, and one thing that that does is it makes me um, see the the superhero genres as you know the the deep entrenched interesting valuable huge world building that they are and then to be you know terribly dissatisfied at how narrow the um concentration of um, american comics audiences is sometimes when we um over concentrate on that that genre so um boy this is kind of uh wandering (laughs) you're all you're like what's new i've listened to your show before paul this is what it is um i i was going to say something about the intertextuality of um the characters in uh, Tezuka's work and how, you know, characters who appear here appear there and Astro Boy appears in other places and it sort of coheres and and also the ways that um, uh, animation styles and uh, his, really his frustration with animation, his, his, his discoveries and his frustration with the animation process of bringing Astro Boy to, um, to weekly cartoons, daily cartoons, um, reflect some differences between manga and anime. Well, I'll have to save that for another day. I have to hit the road. Um, I haven't talked about the pull list yet. I'll probably record that separately and add that on here. Um, Suffice it to say, uh, if you are a manga reader, uh, you probably already know Tezuka and you may have read Astro Boy already. If you haven't, um, these Dark Horse uh, omnibuy are worth picking up. They can be gotten for a super, super good price. Um, And they're just fun. And I am both... Fearing the day I finish them and also can't wait until I have the leisure To read and then probably in a weird way um, in a way that that doesn't happen to me with Neil Gaiman or with um, Brian K Vaughan or or whatever American, you know, great American comics in a weird way It will speak to a core of of me and uh, and I love that Um, that is uh, wonderful so um yeah so i'm going to cut it here and uh we'll we'll go to talking about the pull list i'm probably going to do that on the road all right okay so i'm going to talk about my pull list um i'm on the road but don't worry i'm totally hands-free and uh, this is all from memory Um, i listened to the last time that i did my pull list and i realized that probably there's nothing worse for a podcast than to um, listen to a, a person enumerating things that he's going to buy. That sounds terrible um, and boring, and I don't know why anyone would listen to that uh, besides to further demonstrate how um, I spend way too much time and money on comics. So instead, I think what I wanna do is talk about a few selections that are out today as a way of spotlighting phenomena that I'm interested in and that I'm thinking about. So that's what the pollist episode today is gonna do. Um, I'm gonna start by talking about DC and Marvel, and then I'm going to um, get into um, some things that I see outside of DC and Marvel. The point, the thing that I kind of want to say is that um, there's a lot of stuff in the industry that points to how um, the investment that longtime readers have has to be paid off. Um, it's maybe comics' richest uh, resource, but the, the, the kind of um, challenges and restrictions that that brings... Uh, are sometimes too costly for for good comics and i'll explain what i mean in a minute Um, but i'll start by talking about dc so there's a whole bunch of dc rebirth titles that that marches on action 959 detective 936 um uh hal jordan and green lantern core rebirth number one is out and flash number two and uh, i'm going to be checking out those and continuing to look at those oh nightwing rebirth number one is also out um and uh I think that the, the rebirth, uh, oh, Wonder Woman 2. Sorry, looking down at the list. I'm, I'm pulled over, by the way. Don't, don't worry. <laughs> um, I think that list really comes to show what this rebirth, uh, thing is doing. You know, in, in titles like Action and Detective, you have an appeal to people who have, who are longtime readers, who, who want characters in the Bat family or in the Super family back. Um, and there's definitely an effort to, to bring that back. There's a real sense of that rebirth mood that Jeff Johns is so good at, which is marshaling the best of the legacy, uh, smoothing out the rough patches, making it so that, um, this world and these relationships that you've invested in, um, are what pay off. And, um, I think that's, that's, that's great. Um, I'm hooked. It's worked for me. Um, but I, I do wonder if for somebody who hasn't been a long time reader, who, um, has no idea who Ted Cord is, um, or who, you know, uh, no familiarity with um with Hawkman or whatever uh, whether the same sense of wonderment is there, and it again points to this question uh, I think it's one that d c and Marvel have tackled differently. Do we ride on the legacy or do we and do we try to uh, pull in the readers who are um you know year after year our Wednesday warriors or are we thinking about um becoming new and open and um, accessible and um, something that the stranger coming into the shop for the first time will want to read and not feel like they have to have a lifetime of study of of this universe to get into uh i think a a great example of that is is um, the new superman title there's a new superman uh written uh, art by victor um i i'm not sure i I think it's uh, bognovich could be Bogdanovich. I apologize for forgetting that name, uh, but it's written by Jean Luen Yang, and Yang is a um, creator who I have huge amount of respect for and appreciate. He's been kind enough to, to um, give me some time once for an interview for Multiversity, and his um, his Superman title last year was many things that I would want out of a Superman title, and yet you could tell that as a writer he he was his hands were tied. Um, in in ways that he isn't quite so much when he's obviously doing his own graphic novels which he sort of has the um, authorial voice completely intact but um, but even when he's doing things like avatar uh, for dark horse he's having to um, meet in superman he's having to you know coordinate with the other Superman writers and the group editors and whatever's happening in whatever crossover or whatever trajectory the character is supposed to go and you know already they're closing up shop on the new 52 at the time and so it's it's kind of a mess it's kind of really hard to write within those circumstances and yet those circumstances are exactly what produces the the shared universe stuff that I think DC Comics um, loves to uh, ride on loves to employ loves you know uses to attract readers to multiple books, and writing in those circumstances, I can see and imagine that um, a a writer like Yang would very much have his hands tied and and just have a really hard time working within those confines. New Superman is different, Uh, it's within the universe of course, but really, you know, you know, physically, geographically he gets to be of a different place, of a different world. Um, Kenan Kong, who is a character of his creation, is a new Superman who um, arises in Shanghai and um, Yang gets to, to do the superhero stuff, the Superman stuff uh, gets to probably tie into the universe in some way or another but um, has you know has a chance to sort of free reign, create the, the Shanghai, the China of, um, of, of DC's present day and that's interesting i can't can't wait to see that um it it again to me uh, presents the question of what it is to um to be old and to be new i think the wonder woman uh plot that greg rucka seems to be writing is dealing with similar things i mean they're all wrangling with this idea of rebirth when you are reborn how much of the past of the old do you carry with you and how much are you supposed to be something entirely new Uh, marvel on the other hand is in the throes of its civil war too um civil war ii number three is supposed to have some big reveal uh there was a whole bunch of um of sturm and drang drang on the internet uh about a certain website that i won't name revealing a bunch of spoilers and then tom brevoort the editor being really mad about that is brevoort an editor Editor editor-in-chief i don't know what his role is anyway it's a bunch of stuff (laughs) um I, meanwhile, I'm just really entertained by the looking at these words and realizing the word "civil" looks like Roman numerals because it has a bunch C and IV and an L. And then there's Civil War II number three of seven. And meanwhile, you also have Civil War II uh, uh, choosing sides two of six, and God Civil War II, Gods of War two of four. There are a lot of numbers going on here. Um, and I think these crossovers are very much a numbers game very much a marketing ploy um me, but but there is some big reveal and and you know the this uh usual back and forth and uh uh, uh you know uh, uh noise buzz whatever about uh, revealing this big spoiler, which I have not been spoiled yet, I think. I don't know what it is. Something happens in this issue. I'm going to read it because I'm reading the main book. I'm not reading a lot of the side books, um, uh, the the titles that I normally follow in, in Marvel. I'm going to see what comes of their involvement in Civil War, as I talked about with uh, Miss Marvel last time uh, that I had um, a Marvel um, Monday. No, that was the time before. No, that was last time. I, I don't remember. What day is it? Oh my goodness, this is a lot of podcasting. Uh, Anyway, another title that's out is actually the trade paperback of um, Spider-Women, which I I, I think involves Spider-Woman, Silk, and if I'm not mistaken, Spider-Gwen, which is, I know she's in a different universe, so I'm not sure how exactly they tied it in. I'm I'm sure there's a way. (laughs) They've found a way. Um, But anyway, I like all those titles individually, but anytime you have a crossover across multiple titles, I always end up missing on one of them so i just kind of wait until they collect it and so i'm going to look at spider women i like the creators involved i like the characters that's been good um power man and iron fist number six as i talked about in the last time that i talked about that title i like so i'm going to be there um oh and i forgot um vision number nine is out and so with vision nine out and then sheriff of babylon over at dc vertigo out um this is a big tom king week and tom king is a writer who's like you know very much exploding on the scene he's writing Batman now uh, the biggest book of all he's writing this vision book which is just um, a super intriguing very different kind of Marvel book Um, he wrote the Omega man he's writing um, the Pope sheriff of Babylon um, which if you haven't been following that you know he worked he uh, with artist Mitch Jarrett are telling this complex narrative about um, the (laughs) not very simple things that are going on in Baghdad uh, post-war uh, during the war right after the war or whatever and this CIA trainer um, it's it's very complex storytelling and um, very intriguing and the art is is wonderful to look at and that's an example of um, what vertigo does which is to not be bound by trying to be part of this big superhero universe and able to give the, the creator the freedom to tell a story and uh, with that you know Tom King is doing I think a great job with vision um, this weird book in the, that's still in universe um, with Marvel, and then doing a great job with Batman, which is a very in-universe book, a very pivotal book, um, and uh, and so on. But but Sheriff of Babylon is his baby. In a u- recent interview with John Suntress on Word Balloon, another podcast, he talked about um, Sheriff of Babylon being a novel that he wrote that uh, was sort of ignored, um, and then he eventually came to... Uh, 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 you know, write it as a comics and, um, kind of could have gone both ways actually with it. Um, ended up loving it as comics. But this is his, you know, the one that you could tell is near and dear to his heart and also to his own experience. I think he worked in the CIA, um, at the time as well. So, um, vision number nine I'm gonna look at. Again, vision is this, is this title where you gave Tom King a bit of freedom. Uh, he, he, he I think pitched it and then they came back with something else and he came up with his own thing, but, He's just brought a very original and very unique take to that book. Can you have space enough for your creators to bring something very original? Or do you have their hands tied by needing to conform and fit with the larger world? Um, that I think is a question that haunts this superhero. Because the, 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 you know, the, the brilliant, awesome side of these big universes is how much you can expect things to overlap and, and um, things to have stakes and consequences across titles. It's also what really makes it frustrating sometimes to read them. Um, On the other hand, you know, (laughs) you have uh, books from Image and from Dark Horse where the independence of either a little pocket universe or of the books altogether um, allows for the kind of freedom of storytelling that makes something intriguing. Uh, At the same time, (laughs) um, I think something to say about Image, it's been experiencing, there has been, you know, I've heard a little bit of talk lately about Whether or not Image um, has lost steam, that two years ago they were sort of riding high with um, book after book in the sort of in the wake of Saga, I think, and others um, that were winning awards, getting acclaim, uh, doing something great. And I think Image has uh, of late started to, I don't know, burn out its own candle. Um, You know, uh, this week you have uh, books that I'm picking up include Birthright 17, uh that has a consistency that's solid as a rock. Birthright keeps coming out. Um Josh Williamson, and I'm, I'm blanking on the artist's name. Apologize again. And um Descender13, which has also been been very consistent, very solid. Um Jeff Lemire and Dustin Nguyen. Um but other titles that uh, I don't know. I I think have had a hard time getting a foothold because of um the sameness sounding of a lot of the titles, the, the pitches, the premises, and um, and I, maybe there's a little fatigue uh, in, the, in the market with, with um, creator-owned titles where you have to relearn a whole nother sci-fi universe, a whole nother space universe, a whole nother crime drama. And, um, and that's unfortunate because stuff like Mirror, number five, which is I, a book I've loved, I don't think it's had huge returns and it hasn't had the kind of buzz that other titles have. Um, and so that's, that's, that's unfortunate. But I do think that it is again creators working with um, uh, their own universe, building a story towards something that they have an intent toward, and that is um, exciting to behold. But doesn't actually can't s- sort of have the mutually sustaining payoff that these other big superhero universes can um, can take advantage of. So um, in Dark Horse, um, I am going to read. Harrow, I'm I'm going to pick up Harrow County in trade. But issue 14 is out. Um, Bun and Tyler Crook, I think, is still on art. Um, that's supposed to be a really good book, but I just, I need to get in a special mood to read anything horror, um, in that genre. Um, and a new Usagi Ojimbo trade is coming out. Um, Abe Sapien, which I'm gonna eventually read when it's collected too, is coming out too. And, uh, The Wicked and the Divine, which I <laughs> am gonna confess, I don't like Wicked and Divine. I know, that's sacrilege. Um, I like image books. I like Gill and, Mac- and McKelvey. A lot Um, I liked Young Avengers a lot I actually even like phonogram as weird as it was not weird just esoteric for those of us not in that particular world Wicked and Divine just uh, never grabbed me I've given it my best shot I've read all three traits and I just I've even given it away as gifts because I know it's cool and I'm just not cool enough for it I think um yeah um, it, from other publishers, Bloodshot Reborn 15, which is one of the valiant titles that I have enjoyed. Um this one also written by Jeff lemire um art by Miko uh Sorian. I think that's how I think that's the name. I, I might have that wrong. Um that's been a book worth checking out. Um and um uh, look Oh, gold Goldie Vance, number 4 or 4, Boom Studios. Man, talk about, you know, doing something different that's just fun, it's appealing all ages. Um, I like that book and I think it's, um, it's deserving of more attention. So if you haven't looked at that, look at that. Um, uh, Corin Shadme has a, I think it's a top shelf book called Love Addict, Confessions of a Serial Dater. Um, (laughs) I have to to admit, I started reading it and, uh, because I've read Shadme's work, it's kind of always a little bit haunting and, um, and intriguing. Uh, pretty soon it became clear that Love Addict was about, um, uh, somebody dealing with uh, dating and, uh, and the dating app and encountering different women. And because it's Shad Me, it's going to be very, very thoughtful. I just couldn't do it. It was <laughs> too much love addict for me. And I uh, am not trying to be too much of a love addict. <laughs> Being a, a, a um, happily settled married man of 12 years. Um, Lumberjanes got the, I, uh, yeah, I'm not, I admit it, I'm not mature enough to handle it. That is uh, my problem. Uh, Lumberjanes and Gotham Academy number two um, I didn't read the first one but I did I did pick it up I, I like both worlds I'm excited to read it crossing over um, and then I uh, just wanted to finally mention was there one more thing Stumptown is back I talked about Justin Greedwood a few podcasts ago in talking about The Fuse Stumptown is his work with Greg Rucka from Oni I love that book um, I love the characters and uh, if you haven't read Stumptown pick it up and if you want to start with volume three number 10 um, you can do that um, basically there's actually two, two there's actually two hard covers with a previous artist I forgot his name shoot I'm doing terrible with greater names today then the third starts with uh, Justin and he's actually done an extended um, run of Stump Town. and so this is actually volume three uh, that includes all the stuff that um, Southland I think South uh, shoot I'm trying to remember the name of that previous artist, but anyway, this is now number 10 of um, Justin working with Rucka, and it's good stuff. Um, So pick up Stumptown. Uh, Again, Stumptown and Justin Greenwood, another creator who has found a home in um, creator-owned books and uh, free of the shackles of that superhero universe stuff. Free of the shackles and also free of the enormous profits. Not to tell his business. I'm not saying anything insider knowledge or anything like that um, because, just because I've met him once. Um, uh, all right. The poll list is, is long, and, um, <laughs> and I'm talking about both the podcast and the books that I'm picking up. Um, but overall, as I step back, I think again about this fascinating tension going on in comics between these worlds that um, answer to the needs and the call of people who have been reading forever and then the ones who are trying who 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 are coming into the shop for the first time and you want to appeal to them and you want don't want them to have to have you know to dig through back issue bins for you know a million years to to catch up to who the heck uh these characters are and why these stakes even matter um it continues to be i think the core cultural tension is driven by market forces of course is driven by um uh uh you know evolving society of course but it, it boils down to how do these stories reflect um, what the readership wants and who is the readership and how is it changing? So um, yeah, that's my thoughts on that. Oh, one book I didn't talk about, Tales of the Batman by Alan Brenner. Um, Tales of the Batman are a bunch of hardcovers that have been coming out spotlighting the Batman work of a particular creator. There's been a Norm Brayfogel, a Carmine Infantino, a Len, Mo- Len Wein, and there's a new one um, out today by Alan Brenner. And if you Um, don't know who that is I recommend the uh, robots from tomorrow podcast that I've mentioned before um, where Greg and Mike talk about books and on this um, on Monday they had a poll list episode and Greg kind of waxed poetic about um, Alan Brenner and I think that book I pre-ordered the book but I'm super excited about it now um, after hearing Greg talk about Alan Brenner so all right so that's my poll list for the new comic book day of July 13th I've gotta run Um, thank you for listening and keep reading